Let's open up the Word of God to 2 Peter chapter 3. text is verses 10 through 13 of that chapter, and we'll read the whole chapter. 2 Peter 3, this is the word of the Lord. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. And of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, the element shall melt with fervent heat, The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the element shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, Look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But... Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So far, we read God's word. I'll read 
verses 10 through 13. One more time, that's our text. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be? In all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, the element shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we considered together the first day that there ever was in history. This afternoon we hear together about the last day that there will ever be in history from the dawn and all the way to the end. Our text comes here in the middle of Second Peter chapter 3. And let me just give you a little bit of context here. Verses 3 and 4 say this, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. There were certain men... And they are called scoffers, and they denied, and they didn't just deny, but they really ridiculed the teaching that there was a day of judgment that was coming, and that there were signs leading up to that. And not only did they deny and ridicule that there was a day coming, that day of judgment, but they lived in lusts too. So they denied the second coming of Christ, But what we find as we proceed in the chapter is that Christ will indeed come again. That's our text. And when you read the verses with that background of the scoffers in mind, you see that verses 10 through 13, which we'll hear about this afternoon, really are a contrast to everything that the scoffers do and what they believe. You have the scoffers, they deny Christ's coming, they live in lusts, but the believers to whom Peter is writing, they believe, they've been given faith as you and I have. They believe that the Lord will come. And Peter exhorts them unto a very different lifestyle in light of Christ's coming, very different lifestyle rather than living in all sorts of lusts. There's going to be a day, people of God, that everything burns. What kind of people ought you and I to be now 
in light of the fact that that's coming. That's really the thrust of our text this afternoon. Let's take this under the theme, living in light of the end. Living in light of the end. Two simple points. Let's look at the end and what's going to happen. And then secondly, living in light of the end. Living in light of the end. The end and then living in light of the end. As you can tell, verses 10 through 13 are about the last day of history, the day when Jesus Christ comes for his second coming. Now before we look together at what's going to happen on that last day when Jesus comes, let's back up a little bit and notice two, you might say, more general or more broad truths about the day Jesus comes again. And the first general truth that we can say is that the text calls this the day of the Lord, that's verse 10, and it also calls this, verse 12, the day of God. If you read the Old Testament scriptures, and maybe you notice that even when I said that little phrase, day of the Lord, you'll often find those three words throughout the Old Testament. And it has a whole lot of richness and significance to it that we won't get into now. But you find day of the Lord again here in verse 10. And all that we need to know here is that when it shows up in our text, it means that last day when Jesus comes again. And that's what day of God refers to as well. The Lord is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, day of the Lord. And God is the triune God, day of God. But notice with me too that it's called day of the Lord, which is to say that day that's coming belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one even right now who's bringing about that day. And he's the one who's going to be actively working on that day and He's going to be the focus on that last day. All glory to him. And when the text says day of God, that doesn't mean really anything different except this. God in Jesus Christ is bringing the last day. God in Jesus Christ is going to do the work on that last day. And all things are going to be about God himself and to the glory of his name when that day comes. So, that first generally, it's called Day of the Lord and the Day of God. And the second, you might say, broad thing to notice about the day Jesus comes again is that it will come as a thief in the night. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Children, what does a thief do? Well, comes into a house, maybe at, at nighttime, and he comes suddenly, and he comes unexpectedly. You didn't, he just came, and, and you didn't expect him. And there's something like that about 
the coming of the day of the Lord. It will come as a thief in the night, suddenly and unexpectedly. That's not to say that there are no signs of his coming. We know that the Bible teaches signs. In fact, I think we would all agree that we see the signs all around us today and even in increasing intensity. And there are even signs that will show up immediately before he comes on the clouds of glory. So there are those signs which indicate he's coming, but even as Jesus says, we don't know the day nor the hour. We don't know exactly when he's going to come. In that sense, he comes as a thief. That day does as a thief in the night. What's going to happen on this day of the Lord, day of God, that comes as a thief in the night. It's going to be a day of lots and lots of fire. That's laced through the text already there in verse 10. In the which the heaven shall pass away with a great noise and the element shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the earth's works that are therein shall be burned up. And then again in verse 12, the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the element shall melt with fervent heat. Lots and lots of fire. Let's begin in the heavens. The text speaks of the heavens. And similar to what we said this morning, although perhaps not exactly the same, by heavens, we simply understand everything that's above us. And so, again, the sky that we can see with the naked eye, but even beyond that outer space with the planets, the sun, the moons, and all of those things. The verse also speaks of elements. I take those elements as belonging to outer space, belonging to the heavens. And the elements probably being all the things that we find out there, like planets and stars and solar systems and galaxies and moons and so on. Those are the elements up there. I'd just like you to imagine for a moment one star. Scientists have discovered exceedingly large stars. And think of how one star and our galaxy is just this gigantic, cohesive, whole mass. And then multiply that by how many billions? We haven't even discovered all the stars that there are in the universe. All of that is going to burn with fire. And you and I can't even imagine what that's going to be like. That just take one star, that same star, it's going to have flames and it's going to be burning and melting and then multiply that by how much you have a whole universe, this whole ceiling, if you will, above us, and it's all on fire. It'll be quite a day. And that fire is going to melt. That which was a cohesive and solid whole, it's going to take those things and it's going to melt them and dissolve them. 
That's what fire does, of course. It melts. And the text says that there's going to be a a certain passing away. That is, the heavens as they are right now in their present state, they're going to be different. They're going to pass away and they're not going to be like that anymore. And not only is there going to be quite a sight to see all that fire and the burning and the melting, but there's going to be quite a noise that's heard too. Verse 10, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. Have you ever sat by a fire pit as you're sitting there by the campfire? You've got some wood and maybe some other materials burning, and you hear the pop, the sizzle of that fire. Now, think of the universe burning up with flames, and it's not just a pop and a sizzle anymore, but very, very great noise. Again, we can't even imagine what that's going to sound like. So there's going to be something on that last day that happens in the heavens, the fire, and something's going to occur on the earth on which we live. There's going to be fire there too. The very planet, earth, this globe that we live on, itself is going to burn and melt. But also the text makes a note of the fact that the works that are therein are also going to burn. Works refer to the things that man has produced, his skyscrapers and his downtown cities, his art sculptures, all his technology, his machinery, these things that just dot all over the earth, the works of man, they're all going to go aflame and they're going to melt too. Now, there's a way to understand this burning of the heavens and the earth with fire. It's not what we sometimes call annihilation. If something is annihilated, it's just completely destroyed, and you have to start entirely new again. When the universe is burned with fire, it's not going to be annihilation in that sense. Utter, utter destruction, and that God has to start completely anew again. But rather than annihilation, you should understand this as renewal. And those are two different things. Renewal is a purifying. When you have that poker stick that you take camping with you, and you've had marshmallows on there, and you've roasted marshmallows, and you take the marshmallows off, what's on that poker stick? It's got that white goo of the marshmallows yet. And sometimes children, your dad and mom say, take that poker stick and put it in the fire for a few minutes. Because what is that fire going to do? It's going to burn off all the dirt and that marshmallow residue. And you take it out again and it's all clean. The fire purified it. And that's how we ought to think. It's just an illustration, of course. That's how we ought to think of the burning of the universe There's going to be a purifying, a a renewal. 
And out of the ashes is going to come something very, very beautiful. And that brings us to the other thing that will happen on the day of the Lord. Besides fire in the heavens and on the earth, there will be the new heaven and the new earth. Everything burns and out of the ashes now by the work of Jesus Christ, this new creation. Verse 13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Sometimes we do call it that, new heaven, new earth. Sometimes we call it with scripture the new creation. Same thing. And it's called new exactly in that sense that this creation that's going to come has been renewed. It's new in that sense. New heaven, new earth is going to be better than even what Adam and Eve lived in, the Garden of Eden. And the new creation is going to be far superior to the creation we live in right now. It's going to be better. And what will be at that day? What Christ will bring about out of those ashes is going to be the creation at its very peak in terms of beauty and glory and awesomeness. It won't get any better. You're at the very apex of it. Beautiful new heaven and new earth. And it's going to be the home for you and for me and for all the glorified saints forever. One, we could say a lot about the new heaven and new earth, but one thing that the text says about it is that in it dwelleth righteousness. That is, righteousness is at home. It, it, it lives there. It dwells there. And can't you see the permanency of that? It's a righteousness that's never going to go away. It's not going to diminish, but it's permanent. It lives there. Consider this sweet thought. There's going to be, therefore, no unrighteousness there. No sinful nature. That old man that I have to contend with every single day I'm not going to have him anymore. You aren't either. He's going to be gone. And there's going to be no evildoers that we so quickly fear this wicked world all around us and tempting us week by week. It's going to be gone. No evildoers there. And not even any effects of sin. We're going to look at ourselves and we're going to look at each other and look at the creation. There's not going to be even a trace of sin. No effects. And we who are there are going to delight to do God's will. And we're going to do it perfectly without any sin. 
Sometimes we have a conception of heaven like it's going to be strumming on a harp, sitting lazily by a slowly moving river or something. That's not what the new creation is going to be like. We're going to be working there. And when I say that, I hope your heart doesn't drop because here on earth with sin and all the effects of sin, work can be so burdensome to us and stressful and anxiety-filled. And sometimes even we can think of Monday morning and we groan a little bit in ourselves. I have to go to work again. When's the next vacation? In the new heaven and new earth, we're going to be working all the time, but without sin. And it's going to be something that we're happy in perfectly, that we delight to do the will of God in whatever place he has for us in that new creation. And like I said, that will be forever. And as if to put the cherry on top of it all, verse 13 says this too, according to his promise. God has promised this. The Holy Spirit didn't have to put it that way. Could have just said there will be a new heaven and new earth. But the Holy Spirit puts it this way for us and for our comfort. This is something even that God has promised that he'll bring about. God's promised his unfailing, sure word. God of truth in whom is no deceit whatsoever when he says he's going to do something, he'll do it. Sometimes we say to our children, I promise we'll do this, and we don't. God promises, and he does it. He's given you and me that faith to believe. That promise. You ever read these verses and get filled with a little bit of terror of what's going to come on that last day? You need not be scared at all. This is your salvation coming. And God has guaranteed it. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What kind of persons ought you to be today? That's the force of this whole thing. That's what these verses are all about. Seeing that the Lord Jesus is going to come and everything is going to burn with fire and all the things on earth and heaven are going to go up in flames and out of the ashes is going to be this new heaven and new earth seen as all, all that is coming in light of that, what manner or what kind of people must you be, says verse 11. Sometimes in English, we end a sentence with a question mark and an exclamation mark. It's a sort of a question and sort of an exclamation at the same time. And that's how you can think of that little sentence right there. It is a question, but it's also like shouting and it's an exclamation. That too. There are two answers to that. 
in light of what's coming, what kind of people ought you to be now? And the first answer is, I'm going to use two H words here, and you children can remember these. Hopeful. That's number one. That's the kind of people that we ought to be. That's verse 12. Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. Looking for that. That is, a a, a mental direction toward that day. Expecting that day. And not only looking for it, but it says hasting unto the coming of the day of God. And that hasting unto the coming of the God, day of God is an eagerness. There are some things in our life that we expect to happen in the future, but we certainly don't look at it eagerly. We're not excited about it. But this is a day not only that we expect to come, but we long for it. We eagerly look for it. And what we have here, if you want to summarize it in one word, is the biblical doctrine of hope, which is longing, ardent longing for a future good to come. And what's that future good? It's the new heaven and new earth. It's what Jesus Christ is going to do on that day. And there's not a greater good than that. Does that color your life? And mine too? Do you get up from your bed and go through your day and retire again at night with this longing for the Lord's return filling you? And does that dominate your life? What kind of people ought we to be in light of the fact that He's coming? Hopeful. And the second H word is holy. Verse 11 seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Your conversation, that's, that's really an old KJV word, and it doesn't mean the way we use it. We're having conversation, let's say, over coffee, but conversation means your manner of life, really the entirety of your life in every department. That's your conversation. And it doesn't leave anything out because sometimes I like to have this nook and cranny of my life and maybe I can just do what I want in this part and the Bible doesn't touch this dark corner. It doesn't allow me to do that. All of my life, that's conversation. And it says of that conversation, holy. Separate from that which is defiling and filthy and sinful and corrupt and consecrated to God. That's what a life of holiness is. Separation from sin, consecration and loving, thankful service to the God of our salvation. Holy conversation, holy life. Jesus Christ purchased our holiness at the cross, suffered there for us. 
And he dwells in us richly by his Holy Spirit and by the powerful working of his Spirit. He makes us holy. He causes us by his divine working in us to be separate from sin in our lives and consecrated to God, which is just to say a life of holiness is the fruit of God's grace. And it doesn't just say holy conversation, but godliness. Maybe I can put it this way. Godliness is a life of consciously, from our point of view now, consciously having God before our face. Alarm clock sounds on the dresser. God is before my face. Get my clothes on, take a shower, get some coffee, go off to work. God is right here. Come back into my home and the activities of the home. God is here. And then when I go to bed, God is here. It's a life in which the Lord himself is constantly before our face. And when you think of godliness that way, if God is always right here in our vision as it were, that governs the way we think, the way we talk, the way we act. Godliness, reverence, respect toward God, a life of piety. And then I ask you that question as I ask myself. Does that holiness and that godliness mark your life? Is it, if I may put it this way, like a gentle, cooling breeze that blows through your home, family? It's there among the children, among the parents. Shows itself in our words, our devotions, our marriages, our parenting, our single life. What kind of people ought you to be? Seeing as that's coming, hopeful, and holy. And I think you can see by now that there's a connection between the last day and the way we live now. Now we've said what, how it is that we are to live, but I want to flesh out that connection a little bit between the day of the Lord and how we are to live now. Three connections between those two. And the first one is this. What's coming is that everything's going to be burned with fire and that it's going to be dissolved. And that very fact now carries a message for us today, which is live holy today, now in your life. You can think about the last day from that perspective too, can't you? That the things of sin are all going to be burned up. Everything that's filthy and corrupt, everything that wicked man has gotten his hands on and influenced, all the things of sin and the wicked too are going to be burned. And when you think of it that way, God is a holy God. 
He who is perfectly pure in himself and separate from sin. And he's going to display his fiery wrath in that day when he sends that fire and also when he sends the wicked into hell. And the message of that is in your life now. Repent of sin and live separate from all that is of sin and filth. And you and I need that question, exclamation over and over in our lives, don't we? What kind of persons ought we to be seen as that's going to happen? I need that because I do have that old man yet in me. He's not on the throne anymore. The new man is. But that old man has not been changed at all either. He doesn't have dominion, but he's unchanged, and he's going to be with me until the day that I die. And because of that, I have only an ever a small beginning of that new obedience. And I need to hear that because I can be so attracted to this world and to the things of sin, and sometimes I even want to swim in that filthiness. God's going to burn up all that's of sin. Another connection between what's coming and our life now is this. Remember we noted that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And we said that means it will come suddenly and unexpectedly. We don't know precisely the day nor the hour. And that, by the Holy Spirit's purpose, is exactly what drives the point home. You don't know when the Lord will come. Live in hope and look for that day now. And live holy now, today. Comes as a thief in the night. And then the third connection between the day of the Lord and our life now is that we noted before the things of sin are going to be burned up, but now I'm going to say something a little bit different. Everything's going to burn up with fire as we've heard, even those things that we would say are not in and of themselves sinful, just the things of this earth too. They're going to be dissolved. And What's going to happen on the last day, that burning and the dissolving, is a message for us now. And the message is, don't look at these things below and focus upon them. Look to those eternal things. There's nothing wrong with earthly things as such, so long as they're not sinful in themselves. To have a nice vehicle in the garage, maybe even a boat on the lake, have a sizable home and a good bank account. There are nothing, there's nothing wrong in and of themselves about those things. We may have earthly things and even enjoy them. But earthly mindedness is different. It's not only to have that car and that boat and that house and that bank account but to really set my hope on them 
and to long after them and, and to see these things as a fulfillment of my happiness. It's that obsession and that longing for these things. That's earthly mindedness. And when you and I inspect our lives, we see that, don't we? I don't know if there's ever been a point in the whole history of this world that a nation has had so much prosperity. We can find in our lives that we do love these things. And the more things I have, the better. And that too, because of my earthly mindedness and yours, that's why I need to hear this question exclamation. What kind of persons ought you to be? Don't you know that's all going to be burned up one day? All of it. That boat, that car, that bank account, the rectangle that I have in my pocket, my phone, all going to be burned. And the message, therefore, is don't be focused then on the here and now. But look up because there are things coming that will never go away. That new creation and the righteousness that dwells there. Treasures, wonders, blessings that are permanent. Look there, beloved, and focus on that. Christ is coming soon. It's going to be a great day. Your salvation, he's promised it. What kind of people then ought you to be? Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy word as it presses upon us with its exhortations too. Thank thee for the way that thou dost lead us. So quicken us, Lord. Even use the message this afternoon to quicken us in our hope and strengthen us by thy spirit to live that holy and that godly life. Lord, lift up our eyes to see that last and great day when our Lord who loves us and gave himself for us will come again for our salvation. We thank thee for the great things that thou hast prepared for us for his sake. Hear us in his name alone. Amen.